Again, our text is Exodus 4, uh, 1 through 17. The title of the message is The Power of Persuasion. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me, or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, Staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water that you and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levites? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that opens it to us, that helps us to understand and apply it. Father, we pray that we would be hearers now, that you would indeed guide us and direct us and help us to apply these things to our, our to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Which came first, the chicken or the egg? It's an important question. <clears throat> well, I'll tell you, it's a chicken. Chicken <clears throat> Di- um, I have been in dialogue this week 
It's a young man that I am working with uh, on the Air Force Base. His name is Cameron. He's an 18-year-old. Um, but uh, he has been asking me questions. Gradually, he has discovered that uh, I am uh, not only a believer, but also a pastor. And so uh, he is uh, peppering me with questions. Uh, and I, in turn, am peppering him with questions. <clears throat> um, our dialogue this week has involved the question, questions of the authorship of the Bible. Uh, and you, you may have heard this before, but men wrote it, right? Isn't that, that, that's just a, this is a book written by men, right? I mean, people wrote this. Uh, and so how do, how do we respond to this? <clears throat> because in, the implication is that because people wrote it, it's imperfect, right? That it's not the word of God, it's the word of man. <clears throat> we believe, as this is an essential element of being a Christian, we believe as a most basic truth that the creator of the universe spoke to certain people. That is a, that's a basic behind-the-scenes uh, conviction of uh, Christians. We believe that God spoke to certain people. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, right? It came directly from God. Why do we believe this? <clears throat> now, it would be easy to simply use a circular argument. Well, first, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed, so all scripture is God-breathed, <clears throat> uh, which is true. It is true, but we need not rely on um, simply circular reasoning. Um, I want us to be familiar with a phrase, called, uh, it's a Latin phrase, a priori, um, from the first, from the first. Everyone has what are called a priori beliefs, uh, ideas that they hold from the beginning. Before any conversation begins, we hold certain beliefs. And so there's always that these things are always behind the scenes in, in how we reason. Um, and as I said, one of our a priori beliefs is that God spoke to certain people, that the creator of the universe, in fact, spoke to certain people. Um, <clears throat> so the Bible is our rule of faith, okay? Um, but we need to understand the community of faith precedes the scriptures, Moses comes along uh, much uh, long after Adam, right? Long after Noah, right? Moses is writing about these things. We have Genesis because Moses wrote these things down, but Moses wasn't alive then, and that therefore they weren't written down then. Um, so the community of faith, the covenant community, existed before the scriptures. It precedes the scriptures. And uh, this is something uh, that... The church today has, has kind of gotten away from because, uh, because of a good teaching. The good teaching is what's called sola scriptura. Uh, it's a Reformation doctrine, only the scriptures, right? Only the scriptures are our rule of faith, which is true. It's, this is our written source. These are our documents of the faith. But we, need, uh, we should not forget that the community precedes the texts. The community of faith precedes the text. Um, 
before there was a Bible, there was a community that believed that God spoke. Okay? Um, the canon, uh, the, the word canon is, is not, the, it's not the thing you shoot um, in, in battle. Uh, that has two ends in it. Uh, with one end, uh, it is a, uh, a ruler or a yardstick. <clears throat> it's a, a thing for measuring. Okay? Uh, that's the idea behind uh, the word canon, a standard for measurement. The thing by which you test everything else. Um, so if someone uh, wants to say, hey, what about, uh, what about this idea? And we test it by the scripture. We go and open this up and say, well, that's not in the canon. Okay. Um, or what about, um, uh, what about the Book of Mormon? Well, that's not in the canon. Right. Book of Mormon. That, that doesn't mean there aren't, there aren't some true things said in a Book of Mormon or in any other sort. You can say true things in lots of places, but that doesn't mean that the, the book itself belongs in the canon. <clears throat> the canon of Scripture is, in fact, closed. <clears throat> but you don't see that explicitly written within the canon. In other words, there's nothing written in here that says thou shalt close up the number of books to be X, Y, and Z. You cannot find within these pages any limitation saying that you shall go this far and no further. Okay? It's not explicitly written there. So how did we get to that? Well, that goes back to the community again. The community that God used to produce it in the first place is also the community that God used to close it, to limit it and say, we're done. But we have some scriptural proofs for this within the canon. Um, Hebrews 1.1 says, long ago, it begins, that's how it begins, long ago, <clears throat> not a long time, not long, long ago in the galaxy far, far away, but long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. In these last days, the writer of Hebrews says, <clears throat> so in the past he spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken by his son. Jesus is the final word. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the prophets had said. Jesus is the final word, so we really can't add to that. <clears throat> Jude 3, we looked at Jude before we started looking at Exodus. Um, Jude says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all delivered to the saints. This is, again, the same principle uh, being stated. Once the faith is established, there's we don't add to it. There's no more there. <clears throat> um, so again, the community of faith, God's people, the church, uh, they are the ones God not only inspired the word. Moses is part of the community, right? All the prophets are part of the community. Um, all the apostles are part of the community. Okay. So the documents uh, that are included in this come from the community of faith. So God used that community to produce it, and God also put them in charge of closing it, okay, so that uh, we understand now there's no more, we can't, no one can come along and say, God said to me, uh, 
now you need to put that in the Bible. We need to add that at the end after Revelation. Okay, uh, that that's not going to happen. <clears throat> but even within the covenant community, we are told to test what we hear. Test what we hear. First John four one says, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God." For many pro false prophets have gone out into the world. Moses go, goes on from the burning bush to write as God reveals to him everything in the first five books of the Bible. And so Moses leaves from the burning bush experience, he leads God's people out of Egypt, and he goes on to write everything in the first five books of the Bible. That's Moses' job. <clears throat> um, we don't know, we're not told explicitly how much of that was direct revelation and how much of that came from source material that he had from God's people, okay? It may be that Abraham uh, had some things written down, some histories. Uh, maybe he received that from, from his fathers or uh, got it from somewhere else, and it was, it was passed down. Uh, so we don't know how much source material Moses had access to and how much was direct revelation, but God commissioned Moses to put it all together, okay? <clears throat> so, but Moses is a reluctant leader. Uh, it's perhaps the best kind of leader, a reluctant leader, uh, the one who doesn't necessarily uh, want to do this thing, but uh, he understands he's compelled to. Moses knows what people are like, and he tried 40 years earlier than this to lead God's people. I remember he killed the Egyptian who was beating one of his companions, one of his uh, fellow Hebrews. They rejected him, and they turned him over to Pharaoh. They turned him in, right? Hey, I saw Moses kill the Egyptian guard, okay? Uh, and so Moses left um, fleeing for his life. Pharaoh wanted to kill him. He is, he's right about, um, he's right to doubt that they will not believe him. Um, imagine, imagine this, uh, this is something about, if Moses... This is probably running through Moses' mind when he goes back. Uh, okay, guys, I uh, okay, I saw, I saw this this bush out in the desert, and um, I mean, no, it was kind of on a mountain, and um, well, it was it was burning. Well, not really. I mean, it was kind of burning, but it, it wasn't burning. It wasn't kind of all burned up, but yeah. And then, well, sort of. And and then and then the bush spoke. Well, not not the bush. I mean, I mean, it was it was in it was in the bush. It was it was God. God spoke to me. Right? So I think he was kind of right to doubt. I think that they would, they would doubt him. They're not going to believe me, God. Um, the church is the temple of God. Um, it's a temple that God is building. And we know this from other places in the scripture. Uh, God is building a house for his name, right? From Samuel, uh, we know God means to make a house for his name, and that is the church. <clears throat> The very first and most essential feature of any building is the foundation, the foundation. And the foundation we see in Genesis 3, uh, which is, is surfacing here in, in our text in Exodus as well. Uh, in Genesis 3, what does the serpent say to Eve? That's the first thing he says. Did God really say? Did God really say? say. 
Notice the serpent doesn't ask Adam because Adam heard it himself, right? But where did Eve get it? Eve got it from Adam, right? Eve got it. She has it secondhand. If you read the text, Eve didn't hear this from God. She heard it from Adam. So the serpent is very clever. Do you really trust that guy? Do you really trust that guy? I mean, look at this fruit. It is awesome. And I'm telling you, it tastes really good. In fact, it will make you like God. And that's why uh, you, you heard this from Adam. <clears throat> so the serpent questions Adam's authority to represent God. That's what he's doing. The serpent is questioning Adam's authority to represent God. Eve believes the serpent against both Adam and God. And Adam goes along with it for her sake. He believes her instead of God. He's either abdicating his role as leader and protector, or he's trying to protect her from... He's kind of, okay, we're going to die now, so I'm going to go with you, right? Um, either way, uh, Adam is not doing his job. Uh, but the issue here, did God really say? And this is Moses' big concern here. Who will believe that God spoke with me? Who will believe that God said this? Why do we trust Moses? You think about that. I mean, Moses is concerned here. Uh, he's, he's telling God, they won't believe me. I mean, he could be talking about you. They won't believe me that God said this to me. Okay? Uh, hopefully that's not the case. We believe that God spoke to Moses. <clears throat> so, uh, so that's what Moses is concerned about in this section. Uh, he's concerned that uh, he won't represent God well. Let me just review a couple things with you real quick. Um, Moses wrote Genesis. How many chapters does it have? 50. 50. And Exodus. How many chapters in Exodus? 40. 50? 40. 50, 40. Okay. Um, two halves to the book of Exodus. Um, the first half is about the Exodus, preparing to leave and leaving. And the second half is about the giving of the law. Okay, so you got kind of a half and half with the book of Exodus. Um, so, so far we've kind of looked at covenant as the whole context. The idea of covenant is the whole context. Covenant as an invitation to relationship. Covenant as the answer to the dominion problem. Now take dominion, right? That's, our, that's the command, the first command. And it doesn't mean for yourself. And he doesn't mean as a collective in the name of humanity. He means take dominion in the name of God. Right? Take dominion under my banner, under my authority. Not for yourself, not for yourself individually, and not for the collective humanity, but under the banner of, essentially, Jesus Christ. Under the banner of my anointed one. <clears throat> Moses was raised as an upper-class Egyptian, um, he attempted to liberate his people. He abandoned his people after that because they turned him in. So he fled to Midian and lived there for 40 years. God grabbed his attention with this bush and he gives him a mission. God told Moses he was going to set his people free from Egypt, that Egypt would actually give them wealth to take out with them. 
that God was going to bring them here to this mountain to train them to rule righteously. That is the point. Bring them out, provide for them, train them to rule righteously, send them on a mission of judgment against the wickedness of the Canaanites, and then give them all of that land to rule righteously. That is the whole point of what God is doing. And by the way, that is the covenant plan overall, if you think about it. God sets us free and provides for us. This is what we, in our worship, we go over as the sin offering. He sets us free, right? God frees us from our bondage to sin, okay? So in confession, we go over that. Um, God provides for us. He trains us to rule and sends us on a mission. That's what all of this is about. That's what preaching is about. That's what the ascension offering is. God is training us to rule, training us in righteousness, and calling us to mission. Does that make sense? That's how it works. And then the result is dominion. The result is we leave here and we go out and take the land. That is God's plan, not just in the Old Testament. It is God's plan in the New Testament. It is God's plan for his covenant people. I set you free. I provide for you. I train you. I send you on a mission and you take the land. That's the plan. Does that look like what the church is doing today? No. So, pray. <laughs> pray that God grants us repentance and restores a sense of identity. <clears throat> Moses goes, yeah, that sounds good, Lord, but... That's, that's most, and that's us, right? <laughs> yeah, that sounds good, Lord, but our text today shows Moses' doubts about the effectiveness of this plan, okay? Moses is doubting the effectiveness of this plan. Um, the structure of this set these 17 verses here, basically Moses resists three times, three, three different ways, and God responds each time. So you've got three resistances and three responses, okay? In verse, uh, in verse one, Moses says, they will not believe me. Verse 10, he says, I'm not eloquent. And finally, he gets to the point and says, please send somebody else. <laughs> just don't send me. I, I just don't want to do this. I can't do this. God responds. The, his first response is to give Moses three signs. Right? There's this, the staff turned into a snake. There's the leper's hand. And there's the Nile turned to blood. His second response, when Moses says, I'm not eloquent, God says, who made mouths and ears? Right? I'm in charge of that. You just do what I tell you. Right? Do what I tell you. I'll take care of this other stuff. <clears throat> but uh, Moses, this is not enough. He says, no, I can't, just, I can't do it, Lord. So please send somebody else. And then God gets really, I'll use the word angry. <clears throat> God gets angry. Um. So, let's take a look at these. The first objection, they will not believe me, verse 1. <clears throat> well, first of all, they would be right to question him, right? Moses has a point. Uh, they would be right to question him. We should question anyone who claims to speak for God. We should question anyone who claims to speak for God. There are some common assumptions, though, with, I mean, within Christian communities, and stronger among certain religious communities, um, that... We should believe the one who, who claims to speak for God. If someone says, well, God told me, all of a sudden we ought to perk up and, and go, yeah. and we should, we should pay attention if somebody says, God told me, but sometimes 
after you've known someone for a little while, if this person says God told me, you're going, eh, you know, no, I think I've heard this before, and it's some pretty crazy stuff. Um, but uh, some people think, okay, so God told me, if somebody says God told me, then uh, it must be right. <clears throat> um, let me see, my note here says immediate versus immediate revelation. A common misunderstanding. Yes, this, okay. Um, okay, so this happens a lot, and I've, I've encountered so many people who, who kind of fall into this, and it, it's, it's, on one hand, it's, it's kind of innocent and not really, it's kind of harmless, but on the other hand, it can be a little dangerous if we're not careful with it. Um, when we mistake a conscience and a heart and mind that's informed and shaped by the Holy Spirit over time, right, you've lived a lot, you know the scriptures, you've lived in community, uh, the Holy Spirit has applied the word to you, your conscience is sensitive to things, and this has happened over a long period of time, when we mistake this for an immediate revelation from God, for example, you're sitting in the parking lot, you see someone in need, and you think, I need to go help them. And you characterize this when you're telling someone else, God told me, God told me to do this. Well, did God tell you to do that? Yes, probably, but not the way you think. It's not like the burning bush, right? It's not like God spoke in your ear and said that. Um, you're, not getting, you're not getting special revelation from God like Moses got it, like Moses and the prophets and the apostles, okay? What you're getting is the Holy Spirit working in you over time, and you're just seeing that fruit that day. There it is. Yes, God spoke to you 20 years ago, right? And ever since then. And he has nourished you and built you up and prepared you for this incident. Uh, and so, yes, he spoke to you, but not immediately. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a immediate rather than an immediate revelation. <clears throat> so, that's kind of a common misunderstanding, and we can kind of just kind of nod our heads when we kind of hear that and go, okay, I get you. I see what you're saying. Um, but beware of anyone who asserts a new revelation from God, which changes an old one, okay? Uh, we must be careful of this. Only God can do this. Only God can speak and make changes. This is why Jesus could make changes to the law. Jesus is God. He is God. He's the, he's the same one that spoke to Moses through the burning bush. That's, that's Jesus. Um, he is, as, as uh, Moses himself says, uh, he says there's going to come up someone, a prophet like me. Right? Um, listen to him, he says. <clears throat> so, Jesus can do that. But uh, if someone else comes along and says, you know, God told me, take out the book of Acts, right? Right, or, uh, or uh, God told me that homosexuality is okay. So, you know, in the spirit of love and tolerance, um, um, you need to listen to me. Either you beat them over the head or you run, I don't know, or both. <clears throat> um, 
At the heart of the Jews' rejection of Jesus is the rejection of him as God. They reject Jesus as God with the authority to make changes to the law. The giver of the law was the only one authorized to make changes to it. <clears throat> okay, so this is, this is uh, Moses' objection. He has kind of good reason um, to raise this objection. Lord, they won't believe me. The other good reason he has is that they had already rejected him once, right? Of course, it was 40 years ago. It was this one, one attempt that he made, but he, he was rejected. And so he thinks, well, if I go back, same thing's going to happen, right? They're going to turn me into Pharaoh again. What do I do? Run back to Midian? I think that's what he's thinking. He's going, God, I don't know. This didn't work the first time. <clears throat> God's response. Okay. Verses 2 through 9 is God's response. And it really comes in three forms. He says, I'm going to give you these signs uh, that should verify. And these are not random things. God didn't just kind of go, oh, let me think of some crazy stuff that will impress them. Right? It's not, that's not the kind of signs that God is providing. Uh, there's the staff to the snake, snake to staff, changing form. There's the leprosy and the healing. And there's the Nile to blood. And God chooses these signs very, uh, very intentionally. Uh, no, I love the question. <clears throat> so, so Moses says, Lord, um, they're, they're not going to believe me if I say, you know, if I say you spoke to me. They'll say, the Lord did not appear to you. And what does the Lord say right away? So interesting. He doesn't like go right after him. He's like, yes, they will. Yes, they will. He says, what's that in your hand? What's that in your hand? <clears throat> God uses what we have, what we are familiar with, to communicate to other people. Okay? What's that in your hand? Whatever you're working with, it's God's. Right? He's, he's in control of it. So think about that the next time you have to respond to something. What's in your hand? <clears throat> Everything preaches. That's the thing. In God's universe, in God's world, everything preaches. What's that in your hand? Um, throw it on the ground. Well, you got a staff, so throw it on the ground. And he does, and it turns to a snake. And Moses runs. I'd probably do the same thing. I'd at least jump back. Whoa, hey, what's going on here? <clears throat> um, but the snake thing is actually kind of important. Uh, Egyptian magicians used to do this kind of thing. Um, tricksters and I think for me, the jury is still out on whether this is, because uh, you see this later in Pharaoh's court, where Pharaoh's magicians actually seem to, they seem to replicate at least part of what Moses does here. <clears throat> but I've, I've read up on some, uh, some more modern uh, Egyptian, Middle Eastern um, snake charmers. They are actually able to take a snake, it's a certain kind of snake, I think, um, press it at the nape of the neck, and, and paralyze it, and you can, you can just straighten it out, and it becomes just rigid. Okay, so you can make it like a stick. You can take the snake, and you can make it like a stick. Um, I'm not sure if that's what they do, but it is my understanding from these the studies that I've done so far is that I think that was going on in Egypt at the time. Um, and, of course, there's the other idea that they were using uh, demonic powers to do these things. 
Um, at the moment, I'm going with the trickery part. I, th I think that you know, they did this kind of thing. Snakes were important to the Egyptians. Uh, they had them coming out of the pharaoh's heads in some of their um, some of their temples, some of their um, uh, royal artwork and things like that. You have the serpent coming out of the head. Uh, the, the cobra, especially, was a, was a powerful image to the Egyptians. And so snakes were in their temples. Okay. Um, so what God is doing here is he's showing, I have power over the serpents, right? Uh, I have power over the serpents. And uh, also, he's, he's showing that he has power over the physical world, making and unmaking. Like, I can make this thing, and I can unmake this thing. <clears throat> I can do whatever I want with stuff, okay? Um, this is kind of a similar thing to what Jesus does at the, the wedding feast of Canaan. He turns water into wine, right? Jesus turns water into wine. Uh, here he makes a staff into a snake, okay? Uh, so God is just, he's saying, look, I want to you to show them I've got power over stuff. Not only over stuff, over the Egyptian religious system, which, of course, is over everything in Egypt, right? So I've got power over Egypt. That's that's. God's sign to Moses, take your serp take your staff, throw it down, it's a serpent, now grab it by the tail, it's a staff again. I'm in control of Egypt, that's what God is saying through this imagery, this, I'm in control of Egypt. <clears throat> okay, so you have a second sign, this is put your hand inside your cloak, okay, and then he pulls it out and it's leprous. Leprosy was... Well, I mean, it's not so bad now because you can catch it and cure it and take care of it, but then you couldn't. Uh, and people uh, definitely stayed away from lepers. If you've got leprosy, you're out, away from everybody. If you get to live, you're going to live somewhere out in the desert, okay, because you're not going to be living near people. Uh, and uh, they couldn't cure it. They didn't know what to do with it. Uh, it was a deadly disease. And uh, God shows here that he has power over the human body. Right? Not only I don't not only do I have power over Egypt, I've got power over the human body. I make sick and I make well. Right? God says, This is me. I have the power to make you sick, I have the power to make you well. That's that's what I can do. So here's that's the second sign. <clears throat> God says, then if they won't believe either one of these, do this. Get some water from the Nile. And pour it out. And when you pour it out, it's going to become blood. Well, water, of course, is the source of life, right? Water is the source of life. And this was very, very apparent to the Egyptians. Especially the Nile. Not just water, but the Nile was the lifeblood of Egypt. Okay? And so what God is saying with this sign is, I have the power of life and death. Right? You worship the Nile... I will turn your Nile to blood. Okay? So, God is saying not only to... These, these signs are all going to the Hebrews right now. But they're going to basically be the same... These three really characterize the ten that God shows to Pharaoh. Right? Pharaoh doesn't get it until the last one. Right? I got the power for life and death. So all the firstborn are going to die. Um, so... These are the signs that God gives to Moses to, you know, says, okay, look, they won't believe you, but they should believe this. Do these things. 
and uh, they'll believe you. Okay. Um, So they testify to God's authority, and he delegates that authority through Moses. Um, Notice what God is doing here. He's delegating. That's very important throughout the um, the whole story, really. God delegates. He doesn't go and do this stuff himself directly. Could he? Could he just like cause everyone in Egypt to die <laughs> and, and, and have the Hebrews just take over Egypt? Yeah, he could have. He could have had all the, all the Egyptians die um, and the Hebrews would just say, okay, Egypt is ours now. But that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't what he was, he was delegating and he was doing something. He was telling a story. Okay, so Moses goes, okay, there's, there's the signs. Um, you got me, God. <laughs> You got power. I'll show these signs, but but uh, I really can't speak. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm not eloquent. Verse ten. I'm not eloquent. Ever since you you first appeared to me, first you, you first called me, uh, you know I, I can't speak. <clears throat> Doesn't have the power of persuasion. When we're prompted by the Holy Spirit to speak into a situation. And you hopefully have felt this before. To prompting by the Holy Spirit to speak into a situation, to speak to someone about something. That prompting is rooted in the revealed word. You've already been exposed to the word of God. You've heard it. It's, it's internalized. It's in you. The word is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. So that prompting is rooted in the revealed word of God. The first thing we have to do is get to the point where we are convinced and convicted that God has something to say about whatever it is, whatever situation you're in. Somebody's saying something, somebody's doing something, um, and you feel prompted. We first meet that prompting, we first need to recognize God has something to say about this. God has something to say about this, and he wants you to say it. Okay. God has something about something to say about this, and he wants you to say it. This kind of thing takes wisdom and discernment. Since we are instructed not to cast pearls before swine, or to give what is holy to dogs, right? That is Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Don't give what is holy to dogs or cast your pearls before swine. Further, this is one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. I love it because it like, puts two opposite things. You, you almost don't know what to do when you read this. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And right after that. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Back to back, God says, answer not a fool and answer a fool. What do you want me to do, Lord? You want me to answer this guy, or you want me not to answer this guy? Should I respond, or should I not? Should I say something, Lord, or should I not say something? Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So we must first be sure we hear a clear call to speak. We should not respond to a fool in such a way that makes us just like him. That's the point of verse 
Proverbs 26, 4, lest you be like him yourself. Okay? So we should not respond to a fool in such a way that makes us just like him. Our response should not be arrogant and self-serving. Okay? Our response, when it's time to respond, should not be arrogant and self-serving. We should respond to a fool in such a way that his foolishness is exposed to him or to her. This response seeks the good of the other. Okay? So when we respond, he says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes, which is a bad thing. Right? You don't want to you don't want somebody thinking, oh yeah, I can I got this all figured out. I don't need God. I can I can go on my way and uh, I'm wise. I've got it all together. Um, so that's kind of the guidelines there. Uh, remember, Moses' objection is, I'm not eloquent. I, I, I can't speak. Before we even get to that point, we've got to make sure we need to speak. Right? Is it a time to speak? Uh, and also, as a side note, respect authority. Right? If your boss is the fool, okay, you respond to him a little differently than your coworker who's the fool. Okay, that's, that's important. Respect authority. Um, we will likely feel the same things that Moses felt. They will not listen, Lord. I know they won't listen, so I'm not going to speak. And I'm not eloquent. I can't speak well. Uh, so we may feel those same things. Something I left out. Okay. Um, so God's response. How does God respond to Moses' objection? I, 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 can't, I can't speak well, Lord. God's response is simply to point out his sovereignty. I gave you the mouth you have. I control the words of mouths and the ears that hear. Okay. Take a look at the text there in verse 11. Pretty powerful stuff. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I? The person can't hear. Why is that? Because God determined that he wouldn't hear. Who makes man's ears to hear? God does. He says, Is it not I? I control the words of mouths and ears that hear. So at this point, I want to, we need to get a feel for what's, what's building up here. In Exodus 3.10, right at the beginning of the conversation, um, God says, I'm going to set my people free. Come, I will send you. Okay, so he tells Moses, I am going to send you. Come. That's a command, actually. That's an imperative. Moses, Come. I'm sending you. And Moses' first response in Exodus 3.11 is, Who am I? Who am I? And God's response there is, I will be with you. Who am I? I will be with you. God's going to be with you. So, again, when you have to speak, God will be with you. Um, But now we're in chapter 4, and Moses says, Okay, Lord, but they won't listen to me. They won't believe me. 
So God's response is, here are three signs. Yes, they will. All right? And then God, uh, and then Moses goes, I don't speak well, Lord. I don't speak well. God says, I made mouths and ears. Let me take care of that. I, I, I can handle that. I think we need to see the difference here. There's an important distinction. And I want to stop here before we go on to Moses' final objection. Um, Not speaking, not speaking because we are ignorant is not the same as not speaking because we are not good speakers. Let me say that again. Not speaking because we are ignorant is not the same as not speaking because we are not good speakers. Christians usually feel unable to speak into situations where they feel they should because they actually don't know how to respond. It's not, I'm not a good speaker, it's, I really don't know how to deal with this. I don't know. I don't have the basic knowledge to answer this objection, to answer this question. I haven't thought about this enough. I haven't read the scriptures enough. This sounds like confession, doesn't it? It's not the same thing. Ignorance is not the same thing as an inability to speak. And Christians today, we, we, have, we suffer from this badly. More, more ignorance than, ability, than inability to speak. <clears throat> they know they should speak. Sometimes we get into situations where we know we should speak, but we don't know what to say. And this ought to convince us that we need to study and learn. This is not Moses' situation. He knows what he's supposed to say. <clears throat> When we know what to say in general, but we are not quite sure how to say it, specific words, this is precisely when we need to trust in God and speak as the Spirit leads. Okay? <clears throat> um, but again, I, I want to emphasize um, not speaking because we are ignorant is not the same as not speaking because we're not good speakers. That, that ought to be a call to confession right there. <clears throat> we need to be readers. All right, so then Moses kind of finally gets to his third objection. I just don't want to do this. I just don't want to do this, Lord. This is not, it's not my thing, right? That's, he could have said that, right? Lord, I get it. You're powerful. You can do anything, but this just isn't my thing. This, I want to say this word so bad, but it's just inappropriate in church. Um, <clears throat> this makes God angry. God, God gets angry at Moses for this. He, didn't, he doesn't say that anywhere else, right? The other objections, God's not getting angry at Moses, but when he says this, please send someone else, it's just not my thing. We just don't want to do this. <clears throat> um, this is what ignites God's anger and ought to give us fear. God's response is, enough, in verse 14, enough, Moses, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. This is not a good place to be. You don't want God's anger kindled against you. <clears throat> but then he goes on. He's not done there. He's like, all right, you push me. I'm going to kill you, Moses. No, not yet. <clears throat> That's later. That's later in chapter 4. 
threatens to kill him then too. Um, this is dangerous to be called by God, isn't it? <laughs> like, I'm going to kill you. Um, okay. Anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. He says, look, Aaron is on his way here. What? Anyway, we were just, we just having this conversation, God. I mean, I saw the bush, we were just talking. And how's, Moses, how's Aaron already on his way here? <laughs> what do you mean? We see that God already acted on Moses' complaints before he made them. God already acted on Moses' complaints before Moses made them. Aaron's already on his way. Right? He says, I'm gonna I'm gonna appoint. So basically, Aaron's going to speak. You're gonna I'm gonna speak to you, Aaron, and you're gonna speak to Aaron, and Aaron will speak to the people. Alright? So there, problem solved, right? Problem solved. Um, but he doesn't get he still has to do it, right? Moses's Moses Moses' complaint is um, it's just not my thing, Lord. I just I can't do it. I, I don't I don't want to do it. He doesn't get out of it. He still has to do it. Um, and uh, that is the way it is with us as well. <clears throat> we still have to do it. God, not only does God delegate, he double delegates here. <clears throat> um, God delegated Moses. Moses, set my people free. Lead them out of Egypt. Bring them here. Train them in righteousness. And I'll tell you what to say. You tell the people. Moses goes, I, I just can't do it, Lord. And, and, uh, and I don't want to. Uh, and God says, yeah, I knew that. That's why I brought Aaron. Right? Aaron's coming. <clears throat> and uh, so I'm going to speak to you, and you're going to speak to Aaron, and Aaron will speak with you. Um, God speaks to his officers, and that is whether the prophets or the apostles. He speaks to his officers. God's officers speak to the congregation. Um, all right. <clears throat> his, or his sub-officers, I should say. Pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers are in the role of Aaron, so to speak, not in the role of the apostles or the role of the prophets. <clears throat> and that's in, in, in the sense of, in, in the older sense of what, what a prophet was. Um, Moses is God's mouth. Aaron is Moses' mouth. Um, <clears throat> to be an elder or a pastor or a teacher is not to be a Moses. It is to be an Aaron. Pastors are supposed to be an Aaron. We speak for the apostles and prophets saying what they said. Saying what they said. So it is not a pastor's job to be a Moses. right? It is a pastor's job to be an Aaron. And this last bit, I love this last part just thrown on in the end. Okay, so uh, take a look here in verse 16. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Um and then verse 17. And by the way, take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. I'll say, why is that in there? Take this staff. I'm, de I'm delegating to you, and Aaron's coming along, and he's going to help out. So that should take care of it. But oh, take the staff. Why? <clears throat> um. Good question. Iconoclasm. Ever heard that word? Iconoclasm? Um, it's, it's the idea that images should be destroyed. It, it's inappropriate. It comes from one of the commandments, not to make a graven image, right? Um, 
And so uh, there have been various movements throughout the history of uh, the church to sort of destroy images, different kinds of images. And you, you might think of the Roman Catholic Church, you know, having different statues and stuff like that. <clears throat> um, and uh, magic, uh, magic often uses uh, things. Magic users tend to have staves and wands, right? They have these little instruments with which they wave it and move it around or tap on things, and that stuff happens. <clears throat> um, and this seems like idolatry. Um, or it could seem like mediated grace. Um, there's another place uh, in, in the Exodus account um, where Moses is told to actually make a graven image, a bronze serpent, and put it on a staff. And the people are supposed to look at it, and when they look at it, they'll be healed. Okay? Ah, well, for some people, that just, God is, God has turned around and become rebellious. God has become an idolater because he's telling Moses to make a graven image. <clears throat> Mediated grace. That is when grace comes to us through something. Um, the water of baptism is mediated grace. The elements of bread and wine, they are things, they are physical things. It is mediated grace. It comes to us, grace of God comes to us through things. Okay? It comes through people, right? Why cannot the grace of God come to us through things in certain, in certain situations? Well, God seems to be uh, doing that here, he says, take your staff with which you will do these signs. My, my, my word, my mission, my power is going to come through this staff. So take it, use it. We are God's medium of grace with which he shall do his signs. We are God's medium of grace. Um, just like Moses takes the... Um, takes the staff, uh, we are, uh, God takes us up as well. So God, God is taking us up. You are, God picks you up and takes you uh, to do his work. Where, where you go, where you work, um, wherever you are, he has picked you up like Moses has taken the staff. And, uh, and so God's, uh, we are God's medium of grace with which he shall do his signs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, Moses and for uh, the story that you have told through him and, and with his life, uh, with his calling. We thank you for the way your word uh, opens up to us things that we need to learn and to understand. We thank you for the wisdom that we find here. We pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit it would be applied to our hearts and minds, that we might glorify you with our lives. Give us hearts that seek knowledge and understanding and wisdom, so that we may be prepared to speak as we represent you in the world. Lord, we know you are sovereign, and we ask you to remind us of this as we live and work. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed be the living and active Word of God.
Christ be with you. Sorry, are you ready? <clears throat> Try again. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. Amen.